good morning again. We wish you were here. Uh, we keep saying that. Uh, even as we were praying earlier, I just said that none of us, as we went into ministry, ever thought of doing ministry uh, in an empty room, uh, trying to reach you through the internet. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess or we would have signed up for movies or something. But as we gather today digitally, uh, we remember why we do it that we love the world that we live in, that we love one another, that we love the community that we serve and that we're a part of. And sometimes that means doing hard things, doing things that aren't our favorite. And so I do look forward to next week seeing you. Uh, I would invite you even now, set that time, remind yourself, and join us in person. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. The first half of it, we're looking at the question, who is Jesus? We talked about Jesus, a messenger. We talked about Jesus last week as teacher. And today we're going to do Jesus, the teacher, part two. And as Lauren read for us uh, just a second ago, two of the kingdom parables, they're actually the very two parables that come at the end of the passage that we're going to look at today. So if, you're, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter four. And we're going to look at this specific aspect, this specific way that Jesus taught I'll give you a main idea here, Jesus and the kingdom parables. Jesus told relatable stories about the kingdom's purpose and mission, teaching that when the gospel transforms a person, they will pass it on to others. That the gospel is meant to take root inside of us, and that it is to grow, and is to multiply, and that when that happens, we will take that gospel message, we will take that message of the kingdom, the the good news from God about Jesus for us through the Spirit, and then we will pass that on to other people. That a part of being a follower of Jesus is to be transformed by the message day after day after day, year after year after year. And that while we're being transformed, when we are transformed, the natural outpouring of that is that we will share that with others. And so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 4, right there in verse 1. It says, And he, meaning Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. I want to talk about the context or the setting in which the passage is written. If you're in a community group or you're going to be in a community group, we're going to study passages in Mark that we didn't cover on Sundays. So we're going to do a thing called inductive Bible study. In other words, observe, interpret, apply. If you're unfamiliar with that, we're going to cover that a lot more. Uh, we're going to look at and ask that, setting, that question about the setting of each passage. Like, where is it taking place? Who's in the passage? Uh, who's speaking? Who's the intended hearer? And so questions like that help us frame uh, both the speaker and the audience, and, and the context in which it's taking place. And here, what we have is a crowd gathering around Jesus. Jesus is with his disciples. He's out kind of away from people, gathered with his disciples, teaching them, and crowds are kind of crowding and pouring in on him to hear him teach. And so again, last week, Jesus sees teaching as his primary ministry. The other things he does validate him as a teacher or validate him as the messenger from God. And so he would do the miraculous. He would do these things that would validate who he is. And then he would teach them the message that God had given him, the message of the kingdom. You and I would probably call that today the gospel. 
the good news about Jesus. And so he is teaching beside the sea. And it says, with his disciples, then a very large crowd gathered around him. Verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables. If you noticed last week, the word teach or taught or teaching kept occurring. We talked about how the word immediately takes place so many times in the Gospel of Mark. Well, here again, he was teaching them many things in parables. And this word teaching, again, two times, two verses. And so we see this emphasis that Mark is giving us. Now, it says he's teaching them many things in parables. I'm going to put this note on the screen for you, but a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. In other words, discourse, allegory, comparison, etc. And so Jesus would tell these stories that, about real life that people would understand. He would compare them to things they knew so that he could teach them about things that they did not know yet. Parable, the actual Greek word is uh, the verb there, balas, is to throw, and then para is like alongside. It's like throwing in a story alongside your teaching so that others can understand it. So Jesus uses this method of teaching a lot. So let's start back in verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. So this parable is one of growing crops or food. And unless you have like a small garden at home or, or this is something that makes sense to you, um, we don't live in a setting where we grow our own food or raise our own food. But 2,000 years ago in an agrarian culture, that's what they did. So Jesus is using an example that is relative to them. This is an everyday story for them. They've all done something like this. Even these disciples that were fishermen or tax collectors, they lived in a world where everybody grew food. And so he uses this parable, this story thrown in alongside his teaching to help them understand the kingdom message, the spiritual message. He uses this about a sower sowing seed. It's hard to say, by the way. And he says this, that, that it, the seeds... They, they fall upon different types of soil, some hard ground, some rocky ground where it can pop up really fast, but then the sun kills it, some thorny ground where the thorns and, and the weeds choke it out, and then some on good ground where it grows up and it produces some 60-fold, 30-fold, 100-fold. But there's two important words going into this. The parable begins with Jesus saying, listen, listen, and then he teaches them. And then it closes with he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The desire of Jesus here in this moment is that his disciples, or the, those who would listen and learn from him, that they would hear this, that they would listen to this, and that it would change them. Verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. If you're sitting at home and you're unfamiliar with this part of scripture or Maybe even you're familiar with it. And you hear this parable. 
And you're like, okay, I understand the concept. I understand, you know, we planted a tree in our backyard, and I, I get that. But where is Jesus going with this? Again, Jesus was speaking to a culture that understood this, but even those who lived in that setting, they didn't always get it either. The disciples and the others that are around him that really desire to know what he meant ask him the question. It says, they asked him about the parables. Verse 11, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, the context is Jesus sitting alone with his disciples. There's been a crowd, and Jesus is taught in these parables. He's used real-life stories that people understand, thrown in alongside a kingdom or spiritual teaching, a lesson about the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus. And he says to them that to you has been given, not, not everybody, but to you, not to the world has been given, but to you. As he looks at his disciples and the others that are gathered around with a real heart to learn from him, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, or secret of the kingdom of heaven. But then he says this, and this is where it gets a little confusing. He says, but to those outside, everything is in parables. And so if he begins with listen, like, hey, listen to this, and then he tells it, and then he says, for those who have ears, let them hear, let them listen, let them hear, right? We, I want them to understand. But then for him to say this, well, for those outside, everything is in parables. It gets a little confusing. And so I want to back up to a, a verse that we read last week. And Jesus is being questioned about why he would be around people that are sinful. And it says this, Mark chapter 2, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's the setting. Jesus is around a lot of religious people. In this case, the religious were those who kept the rules that they felt like, you know, made them religious. And, and then there were those who didn't, the sinners and tax collectors and and Jesus is eating with them and, and, and fellowshipping with them and hanging out with them and befriending them. And the religious are asking, like, why would Jesus, who is this clearly a religious teacher of some sort, why would he lower himself to be around sinful people? And Jesus' answer is profound. He says, listen, it's not healthy people that need a doctor, but sick people. And he says, so I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. Now, there's a kind of a parenthetical, like kind of a, uh, an implied note there. Every one of them are sinful. Some recognize they're sinful. Some don't. Some see themselves as religious, making themselves kind of self-righteous. Because of my actions, therefore I'm good. Well, the others understood that their actions were sinful. And so all of us, as we gather today, kind of fit somewhere in that spectrum. On un unhealthy ends of the sinful side, we see ourselves as unlovable by God or unforgivable. That's not healthy, right? But rather hearing that Jesus says we're sinful, but he's come to call sinful people. On the other side, we see these people that believe that because they obey because they do the things they're supposed to do and don't do the things they're not supposed to do. They feel like they have earned God's salvation, love, respect, relationship. And that's not healthy either. So somewhere back here, we've got to back up and hear, okay, what is Jesus saying along this spectrum of, 
understanding of who we are and our sinfulness. Just because somebody is sinful doesn't mean that they aren't being called to do the right things or not do the wrong things. But then understanding that just because you do or don't do those things does not make you loved by God. So inside of this, Jesus reminds them, listen, I've come to call sinful people. There's going to be a message of repentance that is common, thematic throughout Jesus' teaching. When we get to our second section in Mark about what is the gospel, we'll talk more about this. But for now, Jesus says, listen, I've come to talk to people about their sin, not people that don't think they aren't sinful. And so these people need to get a heart check, and then they need to be back here and understand they're in need of a Savior. So we'll pick up. We're going to restart at verse 11. He says this to the disciples. He says, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is actually a quote from Isaiah, the prophet. So 800 years, 700 years or so before Jesus, Isaiah, on behalf of God, speaks to the people, the people who are are doing the same things, finding in themselves goodness, not seeing their need for a savior. And Jesus says, so I, I put these teachings inside of parables to kind of make it kind of a little hidden so that people want to understand, can understand, they'll seek more, but for the rest of people that they will continue on their self-righteousness. He says, but to you has been given the secret. So for the disciples, for those who remained with the disciples that are asking Jesus, hey, please tell us more. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. So here's kind of a summary of this. We'll put this on the screen. Jesus calls for repentance. Jesus teaches a faith of ongoing repentance to replace the culturally dead religion of works and self-righteousness. Christians today need to hear this too. I've talked about this a lot. If you've been around generations for any amount of time, I've talked about the struggle I have as a pastor when when I get to a memorial service or a funeral, and I listen to Christians talk about the person whom they loved who passed away, and they say things like, I know they're in heaven because they're a good person. I know that they're with God today because they were such a good person. Right? We have this baked in, in American Christianity, we have this baked in idea that we're by nature good people, and because of that, we somehow merit heaven, or God's love, or eternity, rather than the teachings of Jesus when he was speaking to the culturally religious who found in themselves this inherent goodness because of what they did or didn't do, and he talked to them about repentance, their need for repentance. In the church, we need to find ourselves, again, not so sinful that God can't love us, but also not so good that God deserves to love us, but rather inside of sinful, in need of a Savior, a Savior who transforms us so that we can do what he calls us to do, but not so that we can merit God's love. You see, the gospel message is one of God's creation and love for us, that God created humanity, designed us, loves us but also created us to be a specific way. And that way is that our lives would bring glory to him, that our primary focus would be God, that we would lift our eyes up to God every day and say, God, how can I live for you 
and never lived for me. And we all know that we failed that. In human history, every human being has sinned and, and has failed that. And we've inherited sin from all the way back to our first parents. And then we've added to sin. And so we are sinful. By nature, we're born sinful. So we're in need of a savior. So we need to know that we're sinful. Okay, most people will agree with that. But then, once we become a follower of Jesus, do we not kind of lose that sense of sinfulness? Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're redeemed. Yes, we're in Christ. But if we're listening to Jesus, if we're, you know, if we're coming to church, if we're hearing the word, if we're reading scripture daily, if you've maybe signed up for those text messages to read through Mark with us, when we are confronted with scripture, do we approach scripture with a heart that is open to hear where we're not on track? Do we do we see our faith as one as one of ongoing repentance? In other words, repentance today for what's in front of me today, and then tomorrow, repentance for whatever's in front of me tomorrow. Do we keep those short accounts of where we are with God? Or do we think that because we said a prayer, got baptized, go to church, give, serve, whatever, that somehow we have now merited, earned God's favor? See, Jesus would teach us that though we're loved and we're found in him and made perfect, we're still very imperfect and very in need of a savior and very in need of ongoing repentance. In 1 John, it says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now again, this isn't this thing. This, the gospel is not this thing that introduces us to Jesus and forgives us one time. And somehow when we cross over that, that it's done, that it's done back here. But the gospel is this perpetual, ongoing flashlight into a sinful and, and, and dark heart. And yes, it does bring us into Christ. And yes, it does guarantee us an eternity with God our Father. But as long as we're in this flesh, we will have this need to be perpetually forgiven. We will be forgiven today, and we are forgiven. But then we will sin again in word or in deed by doing something wrong or not doing something right, whatever it might be. And then tomorrow, we will need forgiveness again. Or, or give me until this afternoon, I'll need forgiveness again, right? I mean, that we should have that ongoing repentance mindset. Not that we're so deeply flawed and unusable by God, because that's not true. That's too far off this way. But not that we're in and not in need of a Savior anymore. That's too far off this way. But Jesus keeps us in that place of understanding we are both forgiven and in need of forgiveness, ongoing, day-to-day, minute-by-minute. So Jesus came and lived a sinless life. He died a death for us to take our sin from us. As he laid in the grave, our sins are forgiven. As he rose from the grave, he gives us new life. Jesus, in his ascension back to heaven, pours out his spirit upon us to lead us and guide us daily. That's the gospel. That inside of that, that the Holy Spirit will continue to lead us. As the verse said, if you, uh, if you think you have not sinned, you, you don't have God's word in you because God's word is that light shining into you. And so Jesus wants to keep us in that place where we're both knowing we need forgiveness, but also understanding we are forgiven and that we're in that place because what that makes 
That makes our heart a place where the gospel can grow. It's inside of that where Jesus tells this parable. And so he says this, verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So now, do you understand what I've told you? Do you understand where where I'm going with this? Do you understand why I use this parable? And and there's also, he he says this, how then will you understand all the parables? And and here's something interesting, and, and we can't go too deep into it today, but the parables of Jesus have some consistent themes in them. I don't just mean subject matter like seeds, but the meaning of the seed typically is always the same. So here, a sower sows seed, as Jesus is going to tell us, the seed is the word of God. We're going to see that over and over again as Jesus tells other parables, the ones that Lauren just read to us before the message. There are a mustard seed or another seed, right? And there's, you, can, you, you can start to find these common themes so that as one parable is told and you hear another one, you'll be able to recognize some of the meaning. So verse 14, the sower sows the word. So Jesus says, listen, the sower goes and tells, sows seed. He says, the sower sows. Well, I know I want to seashells, seashells, but I don't know. Whatever that is, right? That's what I feel like I'm saying right now. The, the sower sows the word. There we go. All right. The seed that the sower sows is the word. Wow, that's a lot of words like that. All right. God's word, the message, the gospel. Remember when it says the word, don't always think the Bible. We have that. They didn't. They're living the New Testament right now. They're living the gospels. The word would be the gospel message, right? The message of creation, God created you and loved you, fall, that you're sinful, that we've inherited sin, we contribute to sin, redemption, that Jesus lived and died and rose again to restore that relationship between us and God, and then restoration, that, that God is on this process through the Holy Spirit of making us more like we were created to be, that that message is the seed that is being sown, the message that is going out. Verse 15, and these are the ones along the path. He said, now, the, so, the seed that falls along the hard ground. He said, these, and now he's kind of talking about people. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Notice we're talking about people. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the seed is this gospel message, and some that are equated with the hard ground or the path. When you think of a path, think of that place where people walk and it just packs the dirt down, right? And so there's this hard ground. When the seed's thrown on it, it sits up on the top. And in the parable, it says the birds come and take the seed away. Jesus then says that the bird represents Satan coming stealing the gospel away from them because their hearts are hard and the seed doesn't get into them. The birds of the air often represent, I think there's one exception, but almost always represent Satan or evil stealing away the word of God. Verse 16, and these are the ones, meaning people, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So we're talking about ground or soil. Again, there was hard ground. Now there's rocky ground or rocky soil. We can imagine dirt mixed with large rocks in it, right? And the rocks are examples of hardship, trial, and life. And so there's this idea, like, and let's just use the last whatever, it's been two years almost now, that someone will have this need to reach out to a church, they'll attend a church, be it online or in person, 
They'll hear the gospel. They'll respond with joy. Like, that's what I need. I need that hope that is found in Jesus. I need that transformation of life that Jesus promises. But then COVID hits, and maybe you get sick, or maybe you're isolated at home, or maybe you have to watch online, and that's hard to do. It's hard to connect with people when you're there alone watching this on a screen. And so that hardship, that tribulation pulls people away. The gospel message produced joy in this moment, but there was so many hardships, so many troubles, so many struggles that it crowds out true sustainable growth or depth of faith. He says, and so when the persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. There have been so many people over the last two years that have fallen away from church. We see it here. Uh, I see it in, in the students that I teach at the school that, that their families have just fallen away from the church. In the absence of gathering, that was our biggest struggle. We said, we're going to go back online for a couple Sundays. We're going to do that. Our biggest struggle is we know that that will push some people. That'll be that struggle that some people will really, really have to, to battle to get through. And that's hard. We can't wait for people to be back together next week because it's so much easier when we're together. It takes away one struggle. But Jesus uses that as a, a type of soil. In other words, a type of condition of the heart. Verse 18. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. So there's others, this other type. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I want you to think all the way back, if you're familiar with the story of Genesis 3, the fall of humanity, the, the sin entering into human history. What we have is a world created by God that is good. We have plants and plant life and, and flowers and, and fruit and all these things. And when humanity sins, when Adam sins, because he represents all of us and because he, he was given the commands by God, when he sins, it, it, it ripples throughout everything. It's not just him and, and his wife. It, it's even the earth is forever changed because of sin. In fact, as God speaks to Adam and tells him, listen, you will struggle now to work. Work will become work rather than just enjoyable, rather than just what your calling is and you get to do, but it'll become work. It'll be hard. He also says, and then the plants, they're going to produce thorns and thistles and weeds. And God curses that. And the, what happens is Adam chooses things in the world over the things of God. And as Jesus, thousands of years later, tells this parable, he uses this example of thorns and weeds crowding out the word of God. And he said this, this type of heart, this condition of humanity's heart, this type of soil in the parable, is where the, heart, is where the, the, the allure of the world, the riches, the cares of the world, the fears even, can choke out God's word. And I just think all the way back into the garden to that part of sin where we choose the world over God, and that's what we're talking about in this soil. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So those that their, their hearts are in a are place to, to receive from God, hear from God, they, they want that word, they put it first. The tribulations, the trials, the struggles of the world aren't crowding it out. There aren't other things in the life that they want more than Jesus. That's not choking it out. 
They're not so hard-hearted that the, the seed just can't penetrate through their hardness of heart. He says that good soil, that's where the seed gets in there and it really builds some roots and it grows and it produces. He says some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. What's important here is it bears fruit. And the idea here that Jesus is, is teaching them about is that this will multiply. It won't just grow inside of you, but it will become something that multiplies into others. He says, those that were sown on the good soil, the ones that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It isn't about how much, how many people we reach or how much fruit is born, but rather that we are multiplying outward, that the gospel has transformed us, that we've taken the hardships of the world and we've, we've said those won't, those won't crowd out the word of God. And we've taken the, the allures of the world, the riches, the things in this life. And we've said, okay, they're not going to be more important than my faith. And we've kind of removed that and we've repented of sin and softened up that hardness of heart. And the seed gets in there, gospel gets in there and takes root and spreads out and grows strong inside of each of us. And the outcome is that it produces and multiplies into others. Jesus says this, verse 21, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? He shifts gears into a new image here. And again, this is one we can all understand. We don't take a light and then hide it underneath something so that the light can't shine. Instead, we put it up on something, put it on a table, or we hang it from a ceiling. We do something so that the light can, can permeate the darkness. And he goes from this gospel message of your heart condition when, you're, when the word comes, kind of has an impact on what happens. He lands in a place of multiplication that the gospel, when it takes root in you, when it does what it's supposed to do, when you allow it to grow in you, it will multiply out to others. And he says this, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed or not on a stand? Like, shouldn't you allow that light to shine outward? It was just, you know, less than a month ago that we did our candlelight service here for Christmas Eve. And there's this just beautiful image of what starts with a candle. And it's called the Christ candle. It represents that Jesus is the light that entered into the world, became flesh as our savior. And then I have the joy of lighting a candle off of that and then lighting elders candles and, and, and other leaders. And then they take it out and, and it, this place was just, just filled with people. It's beautiful and the candlelight spread. And the idea is that we could see that. And these gospel, these kingdom parables are telling us that's the idea that, that it would take, that light would take root in us and it would spread to others. It's not supposed to be hidden. The message is to be given away. So here's a note for you, a message of multiplication. Jesus taught in such a way that those who lived by his teaching would naturally spread to others. The outward focus of the gospel is assumed and expected. That if we are living inside of the gospel, it is natural that it will spread. It's assumed that it will go to others. It's expected that we will share our faith. And not that we will go down to the beach or go down to the pier or stand out in the public square and shout about Jesus or hell or whatever. But in our day-to-day -day relationships, that the gospel will come up. That we will desire for those that we know and we love, we'll desire for them to know Jesus. That we can live that life where the gospel moves through us, transforming us and moves outward to others. 
Again, like that candle, that light that spreads. What's beautiful about that image of the candle, as you light one fire to another, one candle to another, you never run out of fire. You never run out, there's never just the lights over with, right? It spreads and spreads, there's plenty to go. And so it is with the gospel message inside of us. When it takes root inside and grows, it is an endless supply of message of gospel, of God's goodness and grace that we can give away to others. Verse 22, he says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He said, listen, these parables are supposed to be understood by you. If you are listening and you're asking, hey, help me understand this, you should be able to get there. He says, I want you to understand it. It's just kind of couched in a parable so that those who think they're self-righteous won't even ask the question, but you, I want to give you the secrets of the kingdom. He says, when I do this, you, it will spread through you. And then he uses the same language. So the same language when he talks about the condition of our hearts he who has ears, let him hear. Listen, listen to the condition of your heart. Ask yourself, where does your heart fit in that parable? How is the gospel transforming you or taking root in you, or is it? The same language he uses about that, he uses about sharing our faith with others. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That the light is to shine outward to others. That the, the secrets have been made known to you. The kingdom has been made known to you. The gospel has been shared with you. The expectation is you will share it with others. Not a work you do so that God will love you. It's that you will so love the message of the gospel. It'll so transform you that you can't help but give it away. Then when people are struggling or people are kind of trying to seek their way through life, that you will want them to know Jesus. That it'll be the natural outcome of your faith. Listen to this. He gives both a promise and a warning. Verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. As he looks at the people around him, as he's been teaching and, and being criticized for hanging out with sinful people, he said, listen, I came to save sinners. I, I came to get in the dirt, in, 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 the, in the real life people that are struggling, I came to meet them there and to take them out of that, to transform them. The gospel message is about repentance of sin, repentance of sin for everyone, repentance of sin for all our lives. But he said, I came to help the broken. I came to meet the needy. Those who don't think they have needs, those who don't think they have sin, well, they're not listening anyhow. And so he says, so to those who have been given They'll get more. But to those who don't, even what they have will be taken away. When we think that we're self-sufficient in our faith, when we find ourselves in that self-righteous place, Jesus says we're at risk of losing it all. And when we have the gospel taking root and transforming us, Jesus says more will happen. He says when we give away the gospel, more will be given to us. He says the same measure you use will be measured out to you. You keep giving away Jesus. Jesus says I'll keep filling you up. Just like that candle that continued to spread throughout this room, there's plenty to keep going, that the spread will keep going. There's a promise and a warning, and we'll put this on the screen. 
These kingdom parables have a promise of growth if you learn and share them and a warning of loss if you hide them. How does this call us, you and I, followers of Jesus today, how does this call us to repentance? Again, this message is one of ongoing repentance. See, the four soils should cause us to take a good hard look at our hearts. Are our hearts hardened by us resisting the spirit not changing when he calls us to change? Continuing to sin and harden that heart, make that soil unusable. Are we easily shaken by the struggles and trials and tribulations of life, like the rocky soil? Are we really pursuing Jesus at one point, but really chasing the riches and the things of this world at other points so that they choke out the gospel message in us? Or are we doing the hard work of ongoing repentance so that the hardness and, and the rocks and, and the, the weeds and thorns that are all being rooted out by the gospel so that we might be that good soil that can produce whatever God has called us to produce, both in ourselves and then spread it to others. How does this call you, me, us, to repentance today? Again, this is a message of ongoing repentance. Jesus comes and teaches a message that we are sinful in need of a Savior. That those of us who are Christians who profess Jesus as our Savior, that put Jesus at the top of the, the org chart of our life or in the throne of our life, that we need to understand this is a, an ongoing process. That Jesus will continue to reveal what doesn't line up with his word to us. It is our job to continue to let that go. Let him take that from us. And so I want to pray through just really four questions for us today. And so if you're at home, if you would just kind of listen and, and pray with me, I'm going to pray and ask these questions and, and just ask God today and throughout this week or next week, how, how would this apply to me? And will you pray with me? God, as we gather today, we listen to the words as Jesus taught. As he gave us this parable, these four soils, he, he calls us, he's called us, just as he did the disciples then, to listen, to hear, to understand, to respond. To know that this is about our hearts. Sometimes we shut you out, and sometimes we allow the world to shut you out, and sometimes the world just affects us so deeply that it, it just robs the gospel from us. We know that this message is for others. And so, God, would you reveal to us today where our hearts are like the hard ground? Where are we closed off to your word and closed off to what you're calling us to do? Would you reveal that to all of us, Lord? Even as we pray now or throughout this week, where are we hard in our hearts? Where are we closed off? God, would you reveal to us where we are shallow in our faith so that the hardships and challenges of life would not overcome us anymore? Where do we need to be deeper in our faith? And, and would you show us how we can get there? Maybe it is just simple repentance of sin. Maybe it is joining a community group. Maybe it is taking that challenge to get that text message every day and begin to read scripture every day on our own. Maybe it is coming back and being commit, committed to being in person at church. Maybe it's that. God, would you reveal to us where we allow the things of this world, like riches and comforts in life, to choke out our faith? 
Would you reveal to us where we have competing values, where you are calling us one way, but the things in this world are calling us in an opposite direction. God, will you help us to see that? And finally, God, will you reveal to us where we're being called to share you with others, that we might take your message and see it multiply in the world around us? Would you lead us to the people that you would have us to love and to share the gospel with? Will you pour out your spirit on us that our words may be empowered by you? Will you walk us through where our hearts need to change for you, that we might be that good soil, that we might share you with others? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for giving of yourself for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.